Um, we're going to dive into Romans. And this is the final week of a series. We've been going through Romans for a while. And if you know us here, kind of a little bit of our DNA is we like to, you know, we like to keep it fresh and a little funky. So we've been going through Romans semi-backwards, but then hopping around. But so this is Romans 8, but it's the end of the series. So it's like, we're anyway, we're done with Romans after today. But this is a big one because this is kind of the culmination. And if you've been following the series, we've been talking about two groups of Christians, two groups of believers, and they don't get along. There's one group that's like watching Fox News, the other group is CNN, one group has guns, the other doesn't have guns. There's one group that drives an electric car, the other one's got a diesel thing. I don't know a lot about cars, that's a, my metaphors are breaking down, but you get what, there's two groups and they're divided. And I mean, not, nothing that we know in the church world or in Western church at all, right? It's like, no, we get along. It's too bad they don't. Church in Rome. Paul writes them a letter. They would have read, the, by the way, it wasn't like Paul writes a blog and then puts it, it's like, I hope you read it. They would have read this. It's a letter. It's to people. Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul, and had people in mind. He's writing to people. What's beautiful is the way the Holy Spirit stretches that all the way to us today and is completely practical for us as a church. But Paul writes a letter. It would have been read aloud to a group. People would have said things aloud. It would have been in a room like this and they would have read this letter. So we've been walking through how does a divided group come together under the banner of Christ to do great stuff in this world? I mean, do we want that for our kids? For our grandkids? for our families, our homes, our community. That's what we want. So the last couple weeks, we've, it's been some heavy hitters. We've talked about suffering. So important for our faith to be able to have a muscle of endurance, resiliency, grit. But this morning, this morning we're talking about winning. We're talking about victory. Like I told Brandon was like, hey, you know, just preach like, and I was like, this is the best message. I, I was last night, I just walked up the street. To, there's this cool kind of like this pub restaurant. And I was like, I got to get, make sure my heart's in this message. I had my iPad out, slipped some headphones on. I had a friend in Tacoma who's helping us launch a church. He FaceTimed me. And I was like, I'm just trying to make sure my heart's in this. He's like, you got it. And I was like, yeah, it's Romans 8. He goes, oh man, if you mess up Romans 8, like, you should just go home. And I was like, that doesn't, it's not helping. I don't want to go. I, Paul culminates with this idea of victory, which I think is important for us. So there's no way we've spent the last three years and didn't have some sense of feeling stuck. I mean, it's just like, can we go back to that picture of my family? Okay, just pop back. This is my three-year-old Kennedy. Let's just get a sense of her. She's up here. She's got so much spirit. She's got this sass. Yeah, she's up on my shoulders there. That's Kennedy. We took her to Maui. Well, we took both kids Classic second born. We left him. No, we have 700 square feet in the city, and we're like, he sleeps in a closet right now, but it's good for his character, right? It's like, he's in a crib. I mean, it's like, it's important for him. Um, yeah, well, no, it's, a, it's not even a closet. It's like a space. It's a corner. It'd be like that right there. Like, that's his, that's, he sleeps there. She has a bed. <laughs> um, we took him to Maui for fun, for vacation. 
Some would say we should have brought grandma and grandpa, but you know, two young parents just excited, gonna do a little vacation to Hawaii by ourselves with small children. And we got to the, we had, Kayla's family has this condo, we got there. And what's wonderful is we live in a city, so we have these 18 foot windows and my daughter looks out at them at the city and we don't have a deck or patio. The city's our patio, the city's our deck, the city's our playground. So that's the world she knows. And we get to this condo and she, in her three-year-old brain had never been introduced to sliding glass doors just in as a general concept and she got so excited she saw the beach and she'd been talking about we showed her youtube videos of maui and she said it's hawaii and she ran through the door towards the sliding glass door and she hit hard and she just went right over and she's laying there why does it want me to go outside? <laughs> and I was like, in a three-year-old world, if you were running and you just hit like an invisible wall, I just, it feels like in the church there's been some invisible walls. It's like we had, a, we had traction. I mean, I was talking to somebody this week from North Kitsap, and I was like, remember 2019? We were sitting in your living room, we had dreams. Remember that? Do you guys remember 2019 us? We had dreams? We're doing stuff. You can afford eggs. <laughs> there's like, I was watching Beauty and the Beast with Kennedy recently and there's like a bit about, they're like, we can't afford eggs. And I was like, I'm, I agree with you right now. Six, 1600s France. Um, it felt like we hit some invisible walls. Some of us are still butting up against them. Some of our families have dynamics that just, it's, got, it's not back. Paul gave us beautiful instructions for how to live in suffering. But it doesn't end there. He ends with our victory. And we're going to be in eight. I'm going to bounce around a little bit. It'll come up on the screen, but it'd be great if you pulled this. If you have a Bible or maybe a Bible app, great to pull this open. 837 says this, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Read that again with me. Let's read that out loud. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Y'all got a bracket this year? How are we doing? We doing our, is anybody doing well in here? Are you doing well? You and I are in the same league. We're not, yeah, you were, yeah. I, I had a UCLA and that wasn't, well. Uh, so, yeah, you were. <laughs> I mean, it's like overwhelming victory, not partial victory. Now, I titled this message, if you take a note, I, titled this, I just titled, titled this The Scoreboard. Thinking about a scoreboard, you know, for some of us, we have a scoreboard for how we look at our life. Pieces of data or elements, we kind of rate ourselves. I was meeting with a mentor recently and beautiful practice. I was like, I need to start that. He's like, every year, my wife and I, we get together and we kind of rate different elements of our life and then we can track over time, you know, like spiritual and emotional and health. And we have scoreboards. The church has scoreboard, culture has scoreboard. I mean, we're noticing this by the way in culture, um, some of our scoreboards are different and that creates some tension for how we keep score. And I don't know, you know, growing up doing sports, were any of you on winning teams? Oh no, you're all like me. We, none of us won. My wife's the only one to raise her hand. My wife's so, Kayla's so competitive. She's like, no, we crushed it. We crushed it. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, 
Brandon, were you on a winning? You played tennis. Did you win? Oh, you were winning. Did your whole team win or just you? Oh, you guys did good. Okay. Raise your hand if you're on a winning team. Okay, you, okay. Pete, you guys won? What'd you, like, stay, like, you won, uh, like, uh, medals? What'd you get? But semifinals? That's, like, 50% of the building. <laughs> Anybody else? You're, win- you're on a winning team? Good, these are my people. Great. I never was on a winning team. I played basketball. We never won anything. Ever, ever, ever. But you know what? We had fun. We had fun doing not winning. And we just didn't win. You're like, hey, we're out here. We're warming up to not win. Like, just going to do some layups. We don't win anything. And then what's worse is I went to a private Christian school. So not only are you not winning, you're not cool. Like, you're like, I'm sorry. That was, I was over the, there was a line. I just cried. No, we were cool. We all got Christian character awards, but we didn't win. Which feels better, kind of. No, we didn't win. So we made our own scoreboard. So I had a bunch of friends, and we just, like, we got skateboards, and down from the school, there was this hidden skate pool. And before basketball practice, we'd go, we'd skateboard this pool, and then we'd go to practice and not win at all. We create our own scoreboards. Paul's going to show us what the scoreboard looks like, and this is how Paul's going to walk through this language, is it's rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question does this. It doesn't demand an answer out loud. It demands an answer inside. Paul's going to ask a series of questions that are going to lead up. And it's not for us to say yes, it's for us to examine inside our heart. Does that make sense? So let's look at these together. Paul's going to build a case, as Paul does. He says this, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If you're like me in my journey, I can make that us real small. Have you noticed that? Just me? Think about it again. Paul's writing to two groups. Don't see eye to eye. Really easy for me to be like, that's right, Paul. My us. Not that us. Have you noticed the good news of the gospel keeps the us growing a little bit wider than I wanted to? Oh my goodness, I live in a building with my neighbors. I thought it was like, I was like beautiful diversity and just like we're people and it's like a utopia. It's not. I have friends. I'm on the board. I have the vice president, which is kind of cool. President lives next door. We're like making decisions. Most of what we deal is the us that you're like, this is hard. We, oh man, our neighbor, we had a neighbor when we moved in, Carla. She was amazing. She loved my kids. She dropped presents off. Carla and I were, we were close. Carla moved out. Another person moved in. <laughs> oh, my heart. And, and you're like, but next door to, like, there wasn't any, there wasn't another available unit. Like, I'm like, can I get my real estate license and help you trade units somewhere? Kennedy was crying this weekend and she banged on the wall. I'm like, she's, my daughter's three. I know, outrage, outrage. Outrage! We live in a historic building. She's a smoker. Outrage! I got six of these like air purifier things going. She's up at the wildest times at night. She, I think there's some kind of small ball she like bounces. 
Uh, the neighbors, we all have theory. If God is for us in 309, who can be against us but 308? <laughs> One small wall. Thin. Is there a bigger us than we let ourselves get to? Could us be more than one nation, one culture, one background? It's with a friend from India yesterday, came to Tacoma, is just excited about what the, what's happening in the church. Which, by the way, things are hard here in the U.S., I get that, there's complexities. But he comes from a place that you're actually persecuted. I mean, it's like the government doesn't want you to exist. It just gives you a good perspective. And he just has a vision. He's like, I vision a worship gathering where everyone's singing in a different language. Be I was like, I don't know how that works, but that sounds beautiful. He said, I just want to make it look like heaven. There's a bigger us. Paul goes on, he says, he says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else. Again, remember, we're rhetorical. We're doing the heart stuff inside of us, not giving Paul an answer. Verse 33, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? So this is the good news of the gospel. God gave. God is so good, he gives. And then who accuses? Not those us. It's there's an enemy. There's an enemy bigger. There's a spiritual enemy beyond us. And Paul is saying, that's the enemy out there, not here, flesh and blood. Paul, even in these final words, is drawing these two groups together. Joshua at the, uh, um, in Jericho sees, a, sees a, a fighter, with a, a warrior with a sword drawn, walks up to him. It's an angel of God. He says, are you on our side or our enemy's side? Where does the angel of the Lord respond? I'm the angel of the Lord's army. I'm on neither side. Does God have a bigger side? <laughs> Is there a bigger side that even God has? Has my prayer been, God, fix the heart of 308? And God's like, I'm trying to fix the heart of 309. Paul says this, verse 34. Who then will condemn us? Again, this is Easter. Guys, this is Easter's, we, we got a couple weeks here, but like if we don't have a list of people in our mind that we're gonna invite to Easter, it's like there's people in our life who just think that their scoreboard of God is that God condemns them, condemns them. That's their scoreboard. They're like, I don't even wanna walk into church because that scoreboard's gonna be up on the wall. And what's our good news of Easter? There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is even your own personal scoreboard, Jesus eliminates it. We got the best story. Like, rose again. What other story is that? And I'm finding this in Tacoma. This is crazy. Something's twitched in the pandemic. People are the most open they've ever been. I mean, I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. It's like the Holy Spirit is drawing hearts. We, we had a team night, our first team night. We were like, okay, we've got all these college kids coming to our small groups. But if we invite all of them, it's like, you know, we're going to have real adults in this room. So we got to like, just let's invite a couple, you know, a couple of the real spiritual ones. Guys! They invited their friends anyway. We had like 10 adults and like 30 college kids. They're hungry. 
for a church. There, we're at that team night. We just say, hey, if you're an artist or creative, like give us your name. We're going to contact you because we're the church. We organize it all. Next team night, this group walks up to me of college kids. They found other friends. They said, we're all orchestra majors. We planned the worship set. No permission. They just said, we got these songs. We got a celloist. We got a violinist. We got a, they just said, we can, we got. And so obviously like mentorship, apprenticeship, but like, do they have permission? I think so. What if God gave us that much permission? Who condemned? No, there's no condemnation. Paul says this. Verse 30, uh, 34, who, who will condemn us? And then he says, 35, can anything ever separate us from the love of Christ? Ever separate us? Then he says, verse 30, uh, 35, it goes on 35. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened of death? The list goes on and this is internal. Does anything separate us from Christ's love? And our resounding anthem of the church is no. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's the only time Paul uses that phrase. It's two words. It's hyper or super victory. Paul is like, this is a blowout. We, are, we have more than one. It was a military term. It'd, be, it'd mean you got more land than you could ever imagine. You got the whole thing. That's how much victory we walk in. Every moment where you get this complexity inside you in the streets of Tacoma. I mean, we're like downtown. I, you call it fear? I don't know. I've got to remind myself there's more. I'm, I'm on a team that's more than conquerors. How much more? <laughs> Just a little conquering? More. There is victory. We're on the winning team. And our health can make us feel like we're on the losing team. Our finances, maybe where we've hit glass doors in our spiritual journey. But Paul writes, we're more than conquerors. Um, Verse 38, he says, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does a winning scoreboard look like? This is what I wrote down. God's scoreboard is love. That's the simple truth of the gospel. God gave. His scoreboard is love. What does that look like? I just wrote down three things this morning. First thing I wrote down is God's love changes how we see ourselves. It's the good news of the gospel. If I'm left to my own score, isn't it interesting? My own scoreboard, my scoreboard's tougher on other people than it is for myself. (laughs) God's, the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's why Easter is such great news that Jesus died and rose again. It changes how I see myself. I'm a child of God. It changes how I interact in the workplace, with my neighbors. Second thing I wrote down is this, is God's love changes how we see others. You know, I, um, can we go back up to the top where I had those pictures of Tacoma? 
Remember that one that we had where it was the small group? Can we pull that one up again? It was like the small group was on the left. Uh, go one more. Yeah, yeah, this one. That's my small group on the left. On the right, there's a picture. That's my daughter in the middle. For her third birthday, we got a text from the coffee shop across the street in the building where we're going to meet for Easter. And Abby, who's got the hat on, she texted and she was like, hey, pop over to the coffee shop real quick. And when the pandemic started and we bought our loft, um, we were all in masks and we met Abby. She was the first person, one of the first people we met. And Abby said, pop over real quick. We walked over and her and all the baristas had put a birthday party in the back of the coffee shop for Kennedy. They had cupcakes, presents, gifts, and they got to celebrate my little girl. And Abby um, is pretty special to us. She pulled Kayla aside probably three months ago and said, um, I've been a secret alcoholic last three years of the pandemic. I, um, because of some really challenging family trauma, um, was forced to, to move out at 17, and I've been on my own since then. Abby's three months sober. She loves Jesus. She stood on stage with us at State of the Church, and Abby's helping launch this church. Abby's got the coffee shop's going to be open on Easter and coffee for everybody, and it's paid for. Coffee, uh, Abby loves this community. She got touch cards. She got the, all the touch cards. She put them out. She hands them with every drink she gives out. This place is like, the mayor gets coffee here. So it's like, changes how you see others. Last I wrote is it just changes how you see God. Changes how you see him. Your view of God and the scoreboard we keep internally of how God sees us and sees the world and especially sees those in 308 versus 309. It's like that scoreboard matters a whole lot less in the face of eternity and a loving God. And so I just, my question for us this morning as we, as we think about Paul's words or, or maybe, maybe there is a 308 in your life, family member, Maybe somebody you've been praying for. Maybe there's something that you were praying for, but you thought that dream had died or that relationship was too severed. One thing I'm noticing right now in the, um, let's just call it young adults, is there is a real longing for community. We have college kids. We can't stop college kids from showing up to stuff. I mean, it's beautiful. On Friday night, we had probably 10 college kids who were all getting business degrees sitting down and looking at our church budget. We just invited into it. You're like, I don't know. Do you guys want to be, a, do you want to sit at the table? They're like, no one ever invited us to actually sit at the table. That's what they're like yearning for. And then the relationships are magic because those of us who are a little bit older or a lot older, there's this natural mentorship that happens when we're building the church together. This is what Paul is talking about. These different groups start to overlap and we realize that we're better together, not apart. So maybe there's a person that you're like, I just need to start praying again, or I need to get that back into my heart. Or maybe, maybe it's a little bit bigger than that. Maybe it's in starting to ask God, okay, where is it that I need to first experience your love before I can invite others in? Where is it, God, that you just need to continue to refine me? So we're going we're gonna to have a moment of worship here. I think um, 
worship is that refining. And I've been, I've been reading a lot on worship because uh, I love music. I love to sing. I think that's only one part of worship. Isn't that just a fat? Isn't that a sliver? <laughs> I've been reading with this small group of college kids the, the book of Acts, and it's so funny. They just they challenged me in really good ways. And they're like, if we launched a church and it just looked like this, wouldn't the worship leader just be like, cook? Because they're always making food. Like, food is always, and that's a part of their worship. And I'm like, yeah, I love to eat. I think you're dead on. Music, food, it's like, it's worship becomes mission. It's how we live. We don't sing in worship and then go to our jobs and that's not worship. And then it's all worship. And so we're gonna have a moment just to, to give God that worship but to accept God's love. And here's, here's what I'm asking. If you're in here and you've never had a moment to say yes to Jesus, I, I, I wanna give you that opportunity. If God's putting somebody in your heart, maybe you just take a moment to say, God, like, help me with that relationship. But can we put that picture of Callie back up at the start, that 12-year-old girl? I'm gonna have you guys stand, but I just wanna get her picture back up here because this is, this is Tacoma. I mean, that was me. <laughs> Brandon was my youth pastor. Guys, we're not building a church that dies with us. We're building a church that carries on through the storms of life. And we know that victory is ours. So right where you're at, just take a moment with Jesus, the God who loves you. If you're in here and you've never had a chance to respond to the good news of the gospel, that those rhetorical questions do have an answer. And the answer is Yes, there's a God who loves you so much that he gave up all of heaven to put on a human body, to come here and walk among us, to show us a way of life that's countercultural to what our natural instincts would believe to be true. Change and erase the scoreboard through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And now that power of his spirit lives inside us. That we may go and walk in confidence knowing that there is overwhelming victory. If you've never had a chance to say yes to Jesus, maybe right here under your breath, you would just say yes. You would feel God fill the cracks of your heart.